0: Okay, kids, it's time for another episode of the Fueled by Weird podcast, the only podcast that requires you to break glass in case of emergency. I'm Chris Daly, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with president and publisher of Oni Press, Hunter Gorson, and editor-in-chief of Oni Press, Sierra Hahn. Sierra, Hunter, how's it going? Very well.
1: Yeah, really good. It's a beautiful Friday in Los Angeles, so I can't complain.
0: Very cool. (laughs) I'm a little jealous. I'm in Idaho and it's, it's pretty chilly today.
2: (laughs) I'm on the East coast and it was 24 degrees when I woke up this morning. So
0: it's not quite that cold yet. So I guess I won't complain too much. (laughs) All right. So usually with these things, I like to do a bit of an icebreaker question just to kind of break the ice. So today's icebreaker question is if you could be any supernatural being, which one would you be? And that either one can go first.
1: I feel like Hunter, you've probably put more thought into this.
2: <laughs> I'm a classic, I'm a classic creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, um, nice! Like, not sure if the no one really knows if the creature is supernatural or scientific. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I feel like he exists on the spectrum of supernatural creatures, and was always my favorite Universal monster. So,
0: yeah, my that's actually my wife's favorite too. That's a good choice. Exactly. And if it makes it easier, we can do cryptids as well. We can throw them in there too.
1: Oh man. I, I have like a strong affinity for Bigfoot. So oh, nice. I think I would draw inspiration from that and from the Pacific Northwest where there's a lot of story and legend and uncanny sightings uh, of Bigfoot. So I'm going to go with that, that big hairy beast. Nice.
0: <laughs> and actually, you know, me being in in the vicinity of the Pacific Northwest, I'm actually picking Bigfoot as well just because I'm already pretty hairy and I've got big feet. So I'm already like halfway there. So (laughs) that works. All right, guys. So, you know, with the name of the show Fueled by Weird, basically it's, you know, all the things that you're into, all the, your interests, hobbies, all that, the things that make you who you are, that's what fuels your weird. So what is it that fuels your weird? Hunter, let's start with you.
2: What fuels my weird? Feels like there's probably a lot that could be thrown into that, um, <laughs> hopper. Uh, I've always had a lifelong passion for comics, which transformed from a passion into unfortunately my entire life <laughs> right now. Uh, although it is a dream come true to be able to do this day in, day out, uh, sure. love uh, soups, things of, uh, the supernatural and occult vein. So nice ton stuff that we're always batting around comes in very useful for comics, as you might imagine. Sure. And then, uh, uh all sorts of fringy weird pop culture stuff you know my my mind is essentially a flea market of pop culture arcana at this point I would say
0: yeah I I can relate I'm up here just a vast wasteland of useless information so I gotcha right Sierra what about you
1: sounds like we're all in the right business then (laughs) actually not useless after all um yeah, I mean, comics have also been a huge part of my life since I was very young, since probably six or seven years old, um, and something that I kind of fell in love with via my brother and going to comic book shops and kind of being part of that culture in uh, the early 80s. Um, and yeah, I mean, similarly, and I think this is why part of why Hunter and I get along so well is like our, our penchant for the weird um listening to different podcasts, reading different stories, looking for patterns and things um, uh, coincidences that don't seem that may not be coincidences, um, things like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Very nice. And I think we're all going to be great friends. Cause weird, weird's my business. Weird's what I'm all about. All sorts awesome. of weird stuff. Cause sometimes the weirder it is, the better the story is. And speaking of podcasts, and Weird Podcast, have you guys, either of you listened to Welcome to Night Vale?
2: I have, not in years, but when it first started, I listened to it all the time. Okay.
0: I was going to say, if you like Weird podcasts, you should definitely listen to that one.
1: Yeah, that's the one I listened to years ago. It, it um, The previous publisher, Boom Studios, it, there was a huge fan base for that, and it kind of spread like wildfire in that office. Oh, so
0: <laughs> I can't say enough good things about that one. Okay, so, you know, you both had mentioned that you've been into comics, you know, since you were little. So, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. What is it that initially got you interested in comics in the first place? Sierra, let's start with you.
1: Um, it was definitely my oldest brother. Uh, his name is Carlton. Uh, he was always a comic book fan, and so he would take me to the comic book shop. I really looked up to him for whatever reason. Um he was kind of my favorite person. He reminded me of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was my favorite show. So awesome.
2: I don't know.
1: But uh, yeah, I would go to our local comic book shop in um, the greater Portland, Oregon area. And he would pick up all the the really cool stuff of the time. And I thought what I was getting was cool, which was like Amethyst from DC Comics was one of my first comics that I read. Um what I recall that really drew me to it was the color purple, because that was my favorite color. Yeah. This beautiful, cool blonde lady uh, traversing the universe. Um, so I was obsessed with that comic book. My brother would let me read it one time before he would board and bag it, and I would have to sneak into his room. Uh, I think it just made the the desire that much stronger. Is that like i could only have it one time and then i would have to like sneak in and dig it out of a long box and um then sneak it back in so i learned the delicate nature of that business very early on um and then another big favorite and i still have these issues was the muppet babies yeah. comics oh nice um yeah so that that was kind of my introduction to comics uh cool older brother and um some really good books to read at the time but amethyst really became kind of a um a through line throughout my career because eventually when i started working in comic books i got to meet the original one of the early editors which is karen berger who was very instrumental in to bringing me into the industry that's awesome
0: all right hunter what about you
2: so uh in the Gorenson households growing up, uh not a big sports family, okay? But we did uh never watched it. I think I watched the Super Bowl once uh when I was a kid, and that's because the Washington Redskins, because I was from DC, were playing. Yeah. Um uh instead, uh my dad and my older between my dad and my older brother, uh completely pop culture obsessed household. So uh massive like the uh the look. i'm not sure if you remember this there used to be two kinds of videotapes vhs and beta right uh I, so there was
0: i kind of do a little bit i'm i'm a little too young for beta but i definitely am familiar with vhs
2: so like there was one vhs store and one beta video store they had separate mm-hmm. stores and then beta obviously lost the market competition so uh when the beta store closed like my dad went into the store and bought like 800 movies so oh, he wow. in, like a movie like a movie video rental store in my house. So That's we would awesome. watch movies all the time. We would go, it was not uncommon that we would go to the movies like at least twice a week. Like any movie that came out between like 1985 and 2000, I probably saw in the theater. You know what I mean? Including yeah. when I was very, I've, you've never seen a six-year-old more hyped to go see Predator 2 on opening night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So every single inappropriate R-rated movie, I was there. As five, six, seven, eight years old. And then, of course, they also loved comics. So my, I, had a, I had kind of an old dad who was like 10 years older than the other dads, uh, mm-hmm. me a little bit later in life. But my older brother was also 10 years older. So between the two of them, my dad grew up in Brooklyn in the 50s reading comics. So had read a bunch of, was very familiar with Marvel, DC, EC, that kind of stuff, turned me on to Tales from the Crypt and the Justice Society and stuff like that. Meanwhile, my older brother is in high school or college, so he's reading Vertigo and uh, the co- Love and Rockets and The Crow and cool stuff like that. And then this is like 1992, 1993, so I'm also reading like Wildcats and DC Comics Zero Hour event and stuff like that. So I got like a full century's worth of comic education, like, you know, uh, Golden Age, kind of height of vertigo 70s alternative comic stuff and then like 90s excess all at once by the time I was like 10 or 12 years old so it all stuck around and rattled rattled around in my brain pretty good from that point onward
0: that's awesome yeah my house wasn't a big sports house either it was very very rare I mean other than maybe baseball my dad was kind of a big baseball fan so there was a little we'd see it in person but he'd never watch it on tv um and really the sports I'm really only into are the the ones that are scripted, a.k.a. the pro wrestling. That's my favorite. That's my sport. Um, but yeah, there was lots of comics in my house, lots of action figures, lots of lots of music. My dad was a big music guy, so there's lots of weird music stuff that just rolls around in my brain that no one wants to know about. But I could tell you if you ask me. <laughs> awesome. Um, So speaking of some of your favorite comics, um, one of my favorite comics, and this is just a coincidence, I promise, um, Scott Pilgrim. Sure. So, <clears throat> one of my favorite comics ever. And I just read recently about the 20th anniversary re release you guys are doing. Do you want to talk a little bit to that?
2: Sure. Yeah. up to her eyeballs and all things Scott 20th
0: <laughs> Awesome.
1: Which is like a fascinating thing to first be a reader 20 years ago and then suddenly find yourself um, as part of this team of architects of like, what, how do you make it? new and fresh and exciting um to yeah. celebrate 20th anniversary so yeah next year 20 years of Scott Pilgrim um we're just doing a few uh small sort of cosmetic things of implementing a, this really great um 20th anniversary logo we're calling it sp20 um by this brilliant designer Patrick Crotty um who's working closely with me and Brian on sort of an overall aesthetic update on on some of these books. Um, Nothing major, but we're gonna have these two incredible box sets that'll come out in July of 2024. Um, And I think it's really a a love letter to the world of Scott Pilgrim, but also to the fan base that has sort of grown over time with Brian and um, the Scott Pilgrim universe. And so we have these boxes that'll open, then have um, the six collections, the six volumes, there'll be a seventh volume with um, some extras, a lot of which people may have seen in these hardcover color collections that have been out on the market, but we're gonna have some additional material and then some um, world building extras in there that are still top secret, um, that'll just be unique to those boxes and unique for the fans that um, are able to get those.
0: that's exciting (laughs) oh i'm so excited um so what do you think it is about scott pilgrim that's you know been able to keep the longevity for you know 20 years i know you know when the movie came out there was a lot of mixed emotions of that because a lot of people kind of just wrote it off as some weird movie but i mean to me honestly i've seen that movie so many times i can almost quote it by heart um what do you think it is about Scott Pilgrim like in your opinion that that's kind of made it you know last 20 years
2: I mean I personally think that like Scott Scott Pilgrim was one of the first pieces of like genuine Millennial like youth culture that was captured in the moment so like Brian was super young when he was doing Scott Pilgrim like when yeah. how old he was 20 or 21 22 when the first came out so he was under 30 before the entire series got completed and like um it just captured something about being that age in the early 2000s you know what i mean in a way that a lot of media at the time were not i mean he also obviously brilliantly synthesized together not just comics which he's a master of comic storytelling but also anime anime manga video games, like spliced all of that influence into this one single narrative to tell the story of Scott Pilgrim's life and many travails uh, in a way that's still incredibly unique for the comics medium. So,
0: Yeah, and plus with that new anime that's yeah, coming out um, in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, yes, anime's coming up in a couple of weeks, but, you know, like 20 years on, um, Scott Pilgrim was always incredibly impressive from the outset, but like 20 years on, st- perhaps even more impressive, like the fact that it's continued to resonate and still feels so fresh. And we were just at New York Comic Con. We saw a ton of Scott Pilgrim fans who turned out to um, uh, Netflix panel about the anime with Brian. And like, there's high school, college age kids now, like still discovering and identifying with Scott Pilgrim. Truly incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of franchises that kind of stand the test of time like that. I mean, you can only you know, you can name off like the Ninja Turtles and, you know, a few other ones. You don't see many that are, that are lasting that as long as, you know, Scott Pilgrim and others have.
1: Yeah. I think it's just this incredible ongoing story that has, um, has joy and levity to it, which I think we're all very hungry for right now for sure. and sustained in this body of work while touching on these elements of pop culture that are still so um uh at the forefront of what we do today, be it as you said, like gaming, um, and but it's also the slacker culture and these relationships and what's it like to sort of enter the real world for the first time and have all of that responsibility um that that moment in one's life doesn't change. Like we're all sort of on this precipice of of newness and what's on the other side of the door of being 18 or being 21 or being 30 or being 40. Like, so there's this sort of universal experience. And I also think he's created this incredible cast of characters that also as you age, you kind of can identify with different ones of them. Oh, like for different- sure. And that's really fun. It makes you feel like you're part of that world. Um, and I think that's like what the best, the best of what stories can do is really bring you in. So you're inhabiting those spaces, you're relating to the characters and your relationship to, continues to evolve with them over time. Um, so I think it, it's really done that beautifully.
0: Yeah, I mean, and everyone can kind of relate, you know, everyone's got a, a Julie in their life or everyone's got, an, you know, you've got the the envy, in your life, just characters like that. You can just really like, oh yeah, that's just like so-and-so and all. That's just like so-and-so. So I, yeah, that's definitely a good point. So, you know, with, with Oni Press, you guys have so many different types of genre books in under your roof from books like agents of slam and punch up, which are geared more toward younger readers or even all age readers to, you know, like we mentioned before, the weird stories, like the new one, the man from maybe, To a little more intense and mature books, like the upcoming books like Invasive and Dwellings, do you guys have a process for deciding what books become Oni Press titles, or do you, you know, do you bring creators in house that you know, do you find books that you like and want to make them Oni Press books? Do you have creators in house like, hey, I want to see more of this genre or more of this genre? How how does that process work?
1: I mean, I think it's I think it's all of those things. But I think at the, the, before acquiring anything or approaching someone about doing a project, it's determining kind of what is, what is the mood? What is the tone? What is the feel of Oni? What does it look like? What did it look like yesterday? What does it look like today? And what is it going to look like tomorrow? Um, and a lot of that is, is this distinctive, is this distinctive narratively, visually, what makes it stand out? Is it a great story? Are there great characters? Such a vague question, right? But how do we um, discover those worlds and characters and, and sort of visual statement that differentiates itself um, in an industry that is really populated right now with content? Yeah. And so that's the challenge that we face is like, you know, there's people that we want to work with and that we're excited about, but how can we bring their unique visual? or narrative voice to the forefront of what Oni is doing. Um, How can we be a little unconventional? How can we be a little experimental um, and try some different things that Hunter and I have never done before, but maybe the industry hasn't done before, the industry hasn't fully embraced yet. So those are some of the challenges that um, we are posing to ourselves so that we're creating some stuff that maybe looks a little different like dwellings or the man from maybe um, even invasive while Cullen's really known for doing horror work. Um, it's how do you take what he's done in horror and then turn it up a hundred degrees. That's what we're trying to do with invasive. So it's just like taking some little things and you make this small, what might appear like a small adjustment, but it's giving something a fresh coat of paint, a fresh perspective, um, that I think Oni's sort of in a good position to um, be showcasing right now. I'm sure Hunter can add to that. Um,
2: I mean, that's very well said. I mean, part of our job is to be like, is really to be one part culture vulture, right? Just like be up to date on what we have too much of in the industry right now. And I think we have a lot of things that we have too much of. What are the voices, genres, tones, stories that are underserved and then running that through the question of like, what is Oni's historical mandate? Like we're very fortunate to be working with a company that has 25 plus years of history behind it at this point. I have very fond memories of being a comic book reader in the store, picking up my first Oni book in the late nineties and being like, wow, this feels like completely fresh and like from a, from a very distinct point uh, in the spectrum of comic book publishers. And so thinking about what was it about, what was it and what is it now about Oni? And like, what can, what are we specifically equipped to do that no other publisher can? And I think your podcast is very aptly named because like the word weird is something we talk about all the time, which is like, I I personally believe, and I think Sarah believes too, like a lot of comics are weird in a good way because Mm -hmm. if you think about the books, if again, if you're someone who grew up like we did, completely saturated in pop culture, right? Uh, there was something about the stories that you were seeking out in comics that you could not get from TV or film or video games. And so what is it about those narratives specifically that comics do best? What kinds of stories do comics do best and what can we do to put those forward?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've said this on on multiple places and multiple episodes and other people that I've talked to that sometimes, you know, people are afraid to write what they what they really want to write, you know, because, you know, like you said, the market is so saturated with books like superhero books and horror books and all of that stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's the weird ones or the, the ones that kind of stray from the norm that are the ones that are the most interesting sometimes. Like, you know, I mentioned Agents of Slam and Punch-Up, you know, those are mostly geared toward younger viewer, younger v- readers, not viewers or all age readers. But sometimes people, you know, our age, I'm I'm just going to assume that we're kind of all the same because we've talked about the 80s and the 90s. And that's a time I look back at fondly. Um, people our age don't like to read books like that because like, oh, that's, you know, for younger people. But sometimes those are the books that are the most fun because, you know, the books that are written for adults sometimes are boring or sad or depressing. And you don't want to just read that all the time. Because, I mean, I've, I've not read Agents of Slam yet, but I read Punch-Up and it was awesome. It was that very scott pilgrimish vibes to it and i really really enjoyed it um and i would need to read agents of slam because i'm a huge like i said i'm a huge wrestling fan so that one definitely is on my list but you know it's it's the ones where you get the idea in your brain and you're like this is too weird of a story i'm just gonna ignore this sometimes those make the best stories
2: yeah and i do think we have a tendency to in comics to like Maybe this is applicable to like all publishing and maybe some, to some extent all entertainment as well. But we do have this tendency to like hyper fixate on what is the appropriate age range for these books. And I think like sometimes it is beneficial to take a step back and be like, is this a good story, irregardless of uh, whether or not it's all ages or YA or mature readers only? Like, let's right. take a step back and just evaluate, evaluate content on its merits you know what i mean um because to sierra's to sierra's point she fell in love with comics through muppet babies comics you know what i mean um yeah. when i was nine and reading goosebumps i also wanted to read preacher so <laughs> there's a spectrum there's a spectrum there of stuff and I, there's got to be undoubtedly there's tons of kids comics i remember reading I very fond memories of reading the real ghostbusters now comics from the from the yeah. late East, so but at the time I didn't select between like, is this a kid's comic or is this an adult comic? To me, they were all just comics and cool. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And You know, sometimes, you know, kind of to your point about, you know, the stories that you want to read just didn't exist yet. You could take something like Goosebumps meets Muppet Babies and make an awesome, weird story out of that or like, um,
2: in lighting
0: it right now. That sounds weird. <laughs> or like, um you know, I was reading a book recently by Felicia Day about how to trigger your creativity, and she mentioned something about how, you know, sometimes if you get stuck, think of something weird, like a like a dinosaur jumps out of a bush. What do you do? And I thought that's a really dumb idea. But then I'm like, you know, what if you were to take that and kind of i I started forming the idea of like like a James Bond type character, but with a dinosaur instead. So Double O Dino would be the character. Um, and that's kind of about where I got stuck on the idea whether or not the dinosaur talks or dinosaur doesn't talk what, you know, genre ago, but I'm like, you know, you could run with an idea like that. And just sometimes, you know, just you take a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B and it makes a great story and people sh- more people should be able, they shouldn't be so afraid to tackle those weird ideas.
2: Yeah. I mean, in comics we can do anything. You can literally, uh, we can do anything. And I will say, yes, the dinosaur does talk and he does have a British accent.
0: (laughs) Perfect. All right. I'm writing that script today. (laughs) All right. So, you know, I've done some research and I've noticed that you guys are coming up on your one year anniversary with Oni, um, which is awesome. Congratulations. I'll just say it a little bit early. Um, Do you want to take a minute to talk about some of the stuff that you guys have been able to implement in the year that you've been there?
2: Yeah, I feel like it's a lot. Like I think we've got a we've gotten a lot to market already. I think that twenty twenty four we got a we got a bunch of surprises that people don't even know about yet. Uh, that I think are going to be uh, quite captivating uh, and will really take people by surprise. Uh, but there's a ton of, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that we've done just in terms of, uh, you know, reconnoitering what Oni's like immediate priorities and focuses are. Like it is. Every independent comic book publisher kind of operates like, you know, comic book publishers really get into trouble when they get like very, very corporate and they start acting like they're little mini Warner Brothers uh, out to manufacture IP. Oni fortunately never had that problem. It's always been kind of like, it's like a 25 year old startup for all intents and purposes, okay. generating great stuff. And part of the fun that we had was sitting down with the team and saying like, okay, we have all of this stuff in process. We have so much great stuff in the library. What are the things that we haven't had an opportunity to do lately? And that's where some of those new cool, uh, again, maybe slightly left of center, slightly weird books have come into play, like stuff like Faceless in the Family, which we just put out by Matt Uzinooski, was one of the very first uh, books that we brought in house uh, earlier this year. First issue just came out on Wednesday. Man for Maybe was definitely one, um, an artist named Shaky Kane, uh, who I followed for years and years and years and think is just an absolute genius. Um, And then, oh, and of course, Dwellings, which you've mentioned too. Uh, Dwellings is a book that, hey, like, I was a huge fan of that book. I backed it on Kickstarter when Jay was self-publishing it uh, from Canada. I think I got the first two or three issues. I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, And he was one of those folks who had done a lot of uh, foundational work at ONI back in the early 2000s. He was kind of part of the original jamboree of creators back then. So it seemed only natural that we'd be interested in publishing that book. He hadn't really published a comic and specifically not one for the direct market, like direct market comic shop audience in at least more than a decade. And I mean, the response has been nothing short of gangbusters. We had to do three or four printings of the first issue. It sold out immediately. Uh, Like, and it's just continued to kind of snowball from there. Uh, So it's really, it's really heartening to see like, hey, we can, this is Oni. We are a little bit weird. We're a little bit left of center. Uh, but we can, uh, you know, reach deep into our own history and then into like Sierra and I's own taste as well as the taste of our team and stuff, put together some crazy ideas and then watch them work in real time. It's like, it's fun. It's awesome. You can only do that in comics.
0: For sure. Yeah. I just, yeah. um, I read, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, I mean, I think this year, bringing more, um, single issues and direct market comics and b- back into ONI, I think has been a big focus for us and just creating some parity between direct market and book market opportunities. Um, and you're just going to see a lot more of that next year. I know we announced, um, a bunch of titles at New York comic-con, um, for what we're doing, sort of rolling out through December, through spring. Um, and a lot of that, you know, we have, are in a unique position in, in, comics publishing versus graphic novel publishing where you have the opportunity to get material out there faster and I think that was a big um focus for us is like we want to be present we want people to see what Owen's doing what we're interested in and a lot of people were excited to come on board and sort of join us in in the adventure or the experiment of um getting Oni back into that direct market space um, with all of our, you know, the titles that we just mentioned, but what's coming up in the spring as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to mention, I just read the first issue of the man for maybe last night and it was fantastic. I'm so excited for that series now. And because I read that I didn't even hear about until I read that, which is the one you mentioned Hunter, the faceless and the family, that one looks incredible too. So I'm very excited for that one. I think you'll dig it. That's awesome. Now, you know, you guys have mentioned, you know, your announcements at New York Comic-Con. Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about those now. Did you guys want, I you've got the floor. What do you want to say about some of the new ones that are coming out?
2: We're really proud of them. I mean, like me and Sierra, you know, specifically Sierra too, who had to like pull together a bunch. It's, it's not easy working that far ahead in comics to get five books in the fighting shape. Fortunately, we have really talented editors. Sierra's editing just one of them, just one of them yourself. One of them, yeah. herself and then we have a really talented team of folks um who are shepherding the rest of them forward but i mean like really that entire lineup uh which is very creatively called oni 2024 it's really kind of meant to be like a statement of purpose about like the different kinds of things we can do at oni and how our kind of man i hate to keep saying the word mandate because it feels like a little heavy-handed but like our mission self-directed mission at oni is to set trends and not chase them and like so much content right now feels like it's and this has always been traditionally something that happens in comics like you know bob hope's a big hit and then you get seven silver age comics that are all bob hope riffs but not called bob hope but like history of you know that kind of trend chasing but that being said like the thing that we often think about is like Comics is not easy. It's a huge lift. Every time a book makes it from uh, to press, let alone to the stands, it's like 79 things had to go right. The writer had to turn his pages in on time. The artist had to turn their pages in on time. The anchor, the colorist, the letterer, the printer had to get them all done on schedule, get them on the truck. The truck had to not crash or catch on fire. Diamond or Lunar had to get all the books to the right people. Now multiply that times five variant covers or whatever. Like it's very complex. Uh, so if you're going to live with all that, plus all the hours that and endless emails that come and project management and stuff that comes with working in the industry, why do something that you're not 100% passionate about? So like the books that we're putting out there, I think we all feel are like, we think all of these are bangers and that they all occupy like a very specific void that is otherwise not being uh, catered to at the moment. Uh, couple examples for there is the one that's under Sierra stewardship is called Cemetery Kids Don't Die by uh, Zach Thompson and Daniel Irizarry you know it's a very cool comic I mean I often just I've been describing it as uh, from a comp standpoint as Stephen King's Ready Player One uh, Zach likes mm-hmm. to call it Shumanji, Shumanji meets uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, but it's like a gaming horror sci-fi mashup it's fucking absolutely insane uh super cool comic cannot find that comic anywhere else except on press not even anything remotely like it uh there's another book that we have coming up called uh a kogan brutalizer of gods which is essentially i mean just to reduce it down to its like basest elements it's fucking black conan it's like two west african creators nice. running all of like every single trope that's been done to death and broken about like western uh European eurocentric, high fantasy barbarian sword and sorcery stuff, completely deconstructing that, turning it its on its head, running it through the lens of uh, West African mythology and folklore, which has like been, you know, completely unmined by Western comics in the past, virtually. Um, and uh, the two creators, uh, Morewa and Doton, are just like so elated to be doing it. you can feel like their their passion for it coming off the page. So like there's no other comic like that, dude. There's no other comic like that. Uh and it's really a pleasure to be able to uh watch creators like activate around those kind of big ideas and do do what do it gets them excited, do the stuff that gets us excited and then hope that we can do our job to make sure it gets into people's hands.
0: It's very cool. I know recently we put out an article with the announcement you guys made. Um Cemetery Kids Don't Die is one of the ones I'm super super excited for and now that you've described it I'm I'm even more excited for it. I can't even wait. Um well I want to talk about a couple of the other ones. Um tell me about Jill and the Killers.
2: Do you want to do Jill and the Killers, Sierra or do you or should I don't I don't want to keep ranting about comics. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let you go.
2: <laughs> uh, Jill and the Killers is a super cool. It's an all female creative team essentially doing like um a high stakes adrenaline racing thriller with like a teenage cast and it takes place in an extremely small town in uh it's a real town called Seligman Arizona and the Arizona desert has a population of less than 2,000 people there's a girl then Jill obviously her mother's disappeared uh there's no clues to her disappearance and then one day uh she finally returns to school after um kind of absorbing the permanence of her mother's loss. And all of her friends are obsessed with this new uh, subscription uh, mystery game that gets mailed to your house. She signs up, the box arrives at her house, and lo and behold, the clues inside the box aren't fiction. They're all tethered to a string of disappearances, uh, real ones in her area, that may or may not also link back to her mother's case. So it's like a um, an incredibly uh, thoughtful, character-driven uh but also taught and like really uh comic-centric take on both like a teenage crime caper but also like our current obsession with true crime and kind of threading those things together
1: <laughs>
0: my wife's not a big fan of comic books but i think we just kind of got her looped in nice that's yeah, awesome
1: he's like so uh articulate he just captures the spirit of these stories so well <laughs> um yeah, Roberta is the artist and like, she just brings that sort of vibrant, poppy, youthful energy to the page um, in a really, really cool way. So. That's so and It awesome.
2: is legitimately an all female creative team. So writer, artist, colorist, letterer, cover artist, uh editor, editor in chief. Uh, so pretty much the only person who's not female involved with this is me. So I'm going to stay out of it as much as possible, but it's really really
0: <laughs> good. That's awesome. Um, Now there's a couple of comics I saw that are coming out that I don't think were announced at Comic-Con that I'd want to see if you guys can tell me a little bit more about that I'm also very interested in. Um, The Happy Shop and I Feel Awful Thanks. Nice.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. The Happy Shop. um, (laughs) I wish I could say it's a really fun graphic novel. It's (laughs) it's It's um, um, it's a really sweet book um, about a, a young girl who goes into a shop that sells happy feelings and she breaks one of their jars and to sort of make up for their loss, she kind of joins them to sort of help clean and maintain this shop. Um, and sort of the the question overriding all of this experience that she's happening is that she's having is um, whether, whether there are more feelings that that we should all have and inhabit um, other than just happy ones. And so it's sort of her moving to this new place, discovering this shop, and then people kind of coming to terms with, it's okay to have your feelings um, and have different feelings that you can go into this shop and sort of experience and have this sort of safe place to, to be in those emotions. Um, and that's definitely like an all ages book, but probably set in sort of the middle grade space. Nice. And then I Feel Awful, Thanks, um, thematically very similar, but for uh, an older audience um, where a young woman who uh, loves to do magic and spells gets accepted into this program where she can sort of hone her talents, um, but is dealing sort of with her own emotions around feeling um, inadequate or that she doesn't feel in and sort of fit in and has sort of that negative self-talk and how she kind of learns to overcome that through um, her own sort of internal work, but by building the supportive group of friends um, in in this new town was there sort of learning magical spells and and trying to do right by this community and this opportunity. Do you want to add to those, Hunter?
2: No, I think that was wonderful. They're both really, they're both really thoughtful. They're both really thoughtful, charming books.
0: Yeah, you need to give yourself some credits here. You did a great job explaining those. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. And that, and it's it's stuff like, it's books like these that make me so excited about you guys, so excited for all the stuff that's happening, all the stuff that we don't even know about that's going to happen. I'm just going to say I'm excited for it anyway, because it, I probably will be.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Exactly. I want to hear you
0: guys are amazing. And yeah, you're just the fact that you guys are taking all these chances and all these stories that aren't, you know, the typical mainline stuff is just incredible because, you know, people complain about superhero fatigue, but they don't do anything about it. They just keep going and supporting superheroes, which is fine. There's no issue with that whatsoever. But if you're going to complain about superhero fatigue, you need to maybe try something else. And there's tons of stuff out there that's not superhero related. That's, just as good as the superhero stuff, if not better.
1: Yeah, you can still find those dynamic relationships and a lot of that action and energy. And um, and maybe it's a different kind of magic on the page than, than the superhero magic itself.
0: Absolutely. More people need to give Weird a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Very awesome. All right. So, you know, final thoughts. I want to kind of see if you guys have a little bit of advice for people who want to be creatives or who maybe are for whatever reason just haven't got started on their creative journey yet what would something that you guys would say
1: i mean i think it, it, it in one way i was going to say it depends on are you writing or are you drawing or are you coloring but it's it's um making time to do whatever it is that you love every single day and that can be one minute that can be 15 minutes that can be an hour but as long as you are um giving yourself the time and the energy to pursue what you love, um, I think that sets you up on the right path and then things start to become routine and muscle memory. And, um, that I think sort of naturally starts to spill over into, into your, into your life or into your creative life. Um, I think too, it's like going to shows, going to conventions, going to like in LA, there's small shows almost every weekend where it's be it zines, be it painting, be it comics. And all those people kind of come together to form these communities where they they wanna talk, they wanna share ideas, they wanna be buoyed by one another. And so I think it's really important that if you haven't, a bird just flew in my office and flew out. Um, yes. <laughs> but um, just finding those people to help Share a space with to draw with to talk with, um, I think is really really important. There is a bird in my office, um, oh no, crazy. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's my advice.
0: <laughs> awesome, Andrew. What about
1: you?
2: I would say, uh, I would say, don't stop, you know what I mean? Like, the amount of almost everyone who me and Sierra work with on a daily basis, especially like creators every single, every single one of them had some wall got put up in front of them very early on, and they decided to keep going beyond that. And so it's really easy to take like the first sign of negativity, someone doesn't return your email, you didn't get the job you wanted, whatever, but ultimately, um, uh, perseverance, and like the ability to just keep at it, there's an opening for someone everywhere you just have to wait for the. you have to be primed and ready for the right opportunity you know it's like what they say about uh so some roman philosopher who escapes me now said that luck is you know uh preparation meets opportunity and so stick at it long enough uh and there is an opening for everyone to break into the industry it's just it is true what they say it's like when uh guy ahead of you, uh, if he goes in through the window, immediately someone comes along and works up that window. So you can't do it the same way. No. Uh, that does seem to be true uh, for whatever reason, just the, the the dynamics that have emerged and the way that companies operate. But uh, yeah, perseverance, man. Just don't take no for an answer.
0: That's good advice. If I,
2: give you, if I give you the no, please take that for an answer. But anyone else, don't take it.
0: <laughs> Very nice. All right, so where can we stay up to date with you guys? Um, looking at new stuff coming out, where where can we can we find you?
2: Uh, you can follow Oni on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, you can check out all of our fine wares at onipress.com. We have a web store there where you can peruse through pretty a pretty comprehensive library of every single book that we have in print at the moment. Usually, um, you can uh, and just keep your ear to the ground. Talk to your local comic book retailer see what they see what see what they're excited about that we have coming out or tell them or or be sure to stop by your store and tell them that you're excited about Cemetery Kids Don't Die or chill in the Killers or invasive so that's very helpful too
1: Yeah I'm attending Emerald City Comic Con so it'll be great if people want to come by the booth and say hi in person
0: Right on Yeah word of mouth is definitely definitely our friend for sure Now to keep up to date with interviews like this all other interviews reviews uh, everything in the world of nerd, including upcoming stuff from Oni Press, make sure you check out our website at geek-network.com. You can find us at A Z on Instagram and Twitter, Geek Network on Facebook, I am is Weird on Instagram. The music for the show is by Polygon Horizon. Check them out on Bandcamp; they're a fantastic band. The logos for the show were done by my friends Chris Chandler and Mike Belcher, both comic book guys. Go check out their stuff. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell your friends because word of mouth is our friend. And remember, kids, to embrace the things that feel you're weird and always geek responsibly. Sierra, Hunter, thanks so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris.